three businessmen from New York run into each other in Miami and they ask each other, uh, what are you doing here? So the first one says, you know, after 40 years in business, there was a terrible fire in my warehouse. Fire burned down the whole warehouse and uh, I took the insurance and I retired down here to Miami. The second one says, you know, it's a coincidence because in my warehouse, after 40 years in business, there was a flood, terrible flood, flooded the whole warehouse, lost all my merchandise. I took the insurance and I moved down here to Miami. Third one says, you know, similar thing happened to me, actually. There was a tornado, terrible tornado came and destroyed the warehouse and uh, took the insurance and I retired down here to Miami. First two look at the third guy and they say, tornado? How do you make a tornado? So we're going to talk about destruction. In this week's Pasha, Pasha Sudet A, there's a prohibition against destroying the Beis HaMikdash, even one stone in the altar. Where, does it, where, where is it derived from? It's derived from a command that when the Jewish people enter the land where the Canaanites are inhabiting, it says, You should tear down their altars, meaning the idolatrous altars of the Canaanites, you should break their monuments, their idol-worshipping monuments. And the trees that they worship as idols, you should burn them with fire. And you should uh, cut down the graven images, the actual idols that they worship. And you should destroy their name from that place. The very next verse. Do not do the same to the Lord your God. And that line from our week's Parsha um, is actually the basis of a prohibition. We find in the Rambam, in the Hilchas Pesabachira, Rambam says, Hilchas Pesabachira, Perik Aleph, Halacha Yod Zion, chapter 1. Uh, paragraph 17. Uh, so to anybody who demolishes a single stone from the altar, uh, also anybody who destroys a stone in the courtyard uh, between the entrance hall and the altar in a, in a destructive manner, like uh, he is worthy of lashes as his punishment. Shenemer, like it says, and he quotes this week's parasha, you should destroy their idolatrous altars. Do not do the same to the Lord your God. So that's the basis for the prohibition against destroying so much as one stone in the altar. Okay, now, Here's our question. Very simple question. It's based on a medrash, which is based in turn on a verse in Psalms, in Tehillim. It says, That Hashem says His word to His people, His laws and His, his ordinances. The medrash says that means that the laws that Hashem tells the Jewish people to follow are His own laws that He Himself, as it were, follows, that Hashem himself follows the mitzvahs of the Torah. Okay, so simple question. The Torah says, we're not allowed to destroy so much as one stone in the altar. 
Hashem went and destroyed the entire altar. In fact, he destroyed the entire Beis Hamikdash, the entire Holy Temple. He destroyed the entire Yudashalayim. And in fact, if you really understand what the ripple effect, the cosmic ripple effect of the, the destruction, then you understand that Hashem unleashed all the calamity upon the world that came with the destruction of the, of the Holy Temple. Now, lest you're going to say, well, Hashem didn't do it, Nebuchadnezzar did it, you know, the king of Babylonia did it for the first temple, the Romans did it in the second temple. No, Hashem says that he did it. Let, let's, 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 let's see here. Here's, here's the proof. Okay, here's a verse from uh, Yermio, Perek Zion, chapter 7, um, verse 14. And I will do to the house upon which my name is called, upon which you rely, and to the place that I give your forefathers, what am I going to do to it? Like I did to Shilai. What was Shilai? Shilai was the Mishkan Shilai, the tabernacle in, in the town of Shiloh. So Hashem right there in that verse admits, not only he destroyed Shiloh, he's going to destroy the temple in Jerusalem. Both. So Hashem says, Asisi, I did it. I did it. Hashem says he did it. You know, there's that book, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People, right? Um, which was unfortunately was written by a Jew, but it was not very Jewish, because he comes to the conclusion, Hashem didn't do it. Hashem, you know, God is not powerful enough to stop it. God forbid. I mean, that's, that's obviously not Jewish theology, but that, that's what he wrote. There's a, there's a concept in philosophy called theodicy, which is if God is all-powerful and all-good and all-knowing, how can there be evil in the world, right? So if, if he's not any one of those things, or any of those three things, if he's not one of them, then, then you could explain why there's evil. Because even if he's good and he's powerful, but maybe he's not, not all-knowing, he doesn't know about the evil. Or even if he knows about it and he's good, but maybe he's not all-powerful, he can't stop it. That was the thesis of why do bad things happen to good people. Or you could say, well, maybe he, he could stop it, maybe he knows about it, maybe he's not good, maybe he's part of the problem. Okay. Anyways, Judaism believes very, very clearly that God is all three. All-knowing, all-powerful, all-good. So then you have a question. How could there be evil in the world, right? And, uh, yeah, well, that's what we're left with. That's, that's the conundrum. All this pain and suffering in the world, and, uh, and Hashem is the one who did it. Hashem is the one who did it by destroying the Beis HaMikdash. And He admits He's the one that did it. And, and, and lest you say that Nebuchadnezzar did it and he had free will, yeah, that is true, there is free will, and nevertheless, Hashem still controls the world, and even when people have free will, that's also part of Hashem's plan. Uh, let, let, let's look at another verse here uh, from Yirmiyahu. Uh, Behold, I send, and I will take all the families of the north, says Hashem, and to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring them upon this land, and upon its inhabitants, and upon all these nations around, and I will destroy them, and make for them desolation, and a hissing sound for perpetual ruins. Okay, so even Nebuchadnezzar is the shliach to carry it out. He's the emissary, like, like Chazal say, our sages tell us, Hashem has many emissaries. So in this case, Nebuchadnezzar was the emissary. So you can't blame it on people. Hashem did it.
And how are we to explain it? How are we to explain it? How was he allowed to do it? So I want to share with you a letter that the Lubavitcher Rebbe wrote on his birthday. Yud Alef Nissen is the Rebbe's birthday, which the Rebbe wrote on his birthday in 1956 to then President of Israel, Yitzchak Ben Tzvi, who was the second president and longest serving president of Israel. In this letter, the Rebbe basically apologizes for not referring to Ben Svi by the title that the uh, Israeli government gave to the president, which is Nasi, or in the Ashkenazic pronunciation, Nasi. The word Nasi has a very specific meaning, and it refers to a melech, a king, an actual king. And uh, like most modern Hebrew words, it's based on a, on a, on a biblical word. Um, and the Rebbe basically tells Ben Svi, He's sorry, but he can't use that word to describe a modern, secular, political title because to the Rebbe, that word has very special meaning associated with something that he, the Rebbe, had been dreaming of since he was a small child. And, and I'm, I'm going to read to you a translation of that letter. The letter's in Hebrew, of course, but I'll read to you from a translation. From the day I went to Cheder, so the Rebbe is sharing a personal reflection. Very, very rare for the Rebbe to, to do so. From the day I went to Cheder, and even before, the picture of the final redemption started forming in my mind. The redemption of the Jews from their final exile, a redemption of such magnitude that through it, the purpose of the suffering, the decrees, and the persecution of exile would be understood. And part of this vibrant future, and part of this redemption, is that there will be a Nasi, which means king, not merely the Nasi of a tribe, but one who has none over him but the Lord his God. And it will be all in such a way that with, with a full heart and with complete understanding, now quoting from the words of the prophet from Ishio, from Isaiah, it will be in such a way that with a full heart and with complete understanding, you will say on that day, on the day of the redemption, I thank you, Lord, for having chastised me. We will thank Hashem for all the pain that we went through in the exile. Thus, it is exceedingly difficult for me to use this term, the term Nasi, in relation to the Jewish people at a time when they are being overpowered and afflicted, oppressed, downtrodden, and rejected, and tribulations are visited upon them. I could pay lip service and use the word superficially, but since I've heard that you are a sincere person, I have no desire to be false with you. I hope you will forgive me. So many powerful things about that excerpt, especially the, you know, the Rebbe sharing a personal reflection from his childhood. But I think what really has just such uh, relevance to all of us in our lives, to each of us, is this idea of when redemption comes, not only will we thank Hashem that there's no more pain, we'll thank Hashem for the pain. Somehow, how, how to wrap our minds around it, I, I, I don't know and I don't think we can until Mashiach comes. But that's precisely the point that Rebbe is making in the letter, that Rebbe is saying to Ben Tzvi, look, 
what I'm waiting for is what the Jewish people have been waiting for for 2,000 years since the temple was destroyed, since we went into exile. And that is a redemption that won't just be an end to suffering. It'll be such a grand revolution of reality that all of a sudden everything will make sense. And we'll be able to actually thank Hashem for all the pain because somehow we'll see the big picture and and all the problems, all the suffering, all the the tribulation will, will, will not only be made up for, you know, so that's one thing, you know, to say it's, it'll be made up for. But that's a zero-sum game, right? That, that, that's like saying, dig a hole and fill it back up again. That's like, well, I, I lost my money in the stock market, but then I waited and I made it all back. You know, yeah, what'd you sell it for? What I bought it for, okay? So you went for a roller coaster, and, and in the end, you didn't come out ahead. There was no net gain. So just to say that when Mashiach comes, the problems of the past will be behind us, that, that, that's, we didn't gain anything. What we're saying here is that somehow all the problems of the past, we'll be able to actually thank Hashem for it and see how it was, it was good. And not just good, it was the greatest possible good. And that's something that clearly we don't have the ability to do yet. We don't have that, 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 that perspective yet. And, and that's what the Rebbe was telling Ben Tzvi, that... We're still waiting. Hashem still has the great explanation. He still owes the great explanation to the Jewish people, and that's what we're waiting for. And until such time, I'm not going to prematurely use terminology like Nasi, which refers to that time, and, and, and use it now when, when we're still waiting for the great explanation of how we can actually thank Hashem for all the pain that we've been through. So, this is the fundamental concept. The fundamental concept is that it's not just when Mashiach comes there'll be an end to our pain, but there will be a transformation of it. I mean, this this is a verse. This is what it says in uh, Yermio. He says, Oz, then, when when Mashiach comes, Tismach besula b'mochel v'churim v'zekenim yachdov, the maiden will rejoice in the round dance with the music, and the young men with the old men together. Hashem says, I will turn their grief into joy. And I will comfort them and make them rejoice from their sorrow. You hear these words? I will turn their grief into joy. Not I will replace their grief with joy. That's, that's a different matter. There was grief, and now there's joy. Oh, and the joy is so great, you forget about the grief. No, that's not what it says. It's not what it says. It says, I will turn their grief into joy. That somehow, all the pain in the past, not just will be made better and go away, but it'll become part of the joy. We will see how everything was good all along. That's what we're waiting for. In other words that everything that appeared to be destruction was really part of the rebuilding. Everything that appeared to be a setback was really progress. Now we have faith that that is so. We have faith. But we don't see it yet. And we're waiting impatiently for the time Mashiach will come and Hashem will reveal to us and we will see it. So you ever seen that, like the airport or at a mall, a sign that says, pardon our dust under renovation, right? Pardon our dust while we're renovating. 
That's what we have to understand. Sometimes the process of renovating can look ugly, can make dust, to say the least. But this is the answer to our question. Remember we were asking, according to the Rambam, based on a verse from this week's Parsha, you're not allowed to destroy so much as one stone in the, in the, in the altar. Hashem destroyed the whole altar and the whole temple. So how do we explain it? You know, there's a, there's a halacha in Shulchan Aruch. The Ramah says, it's not just the, the, the holy temple in Jerusalem, it's, it's, it's any shul you're not allowed to destroy, except for one dispensation. You can uh, destroy a shul when you're doing demolition for remodeling. If you're building, part of remodeling is demolition. So if you're destroying for, for remodeling, then, then really that, that, that part of demolition is not really destroying, it's part of building. And if you look back in the words of the Rambam, what the Rambam said, very, very clearly, what does the Rambam say? Anybody who damages a stone in the altar, derech hashchosa, derech hashchosa means in a way of destructiveness or in a destructive manner. But not if it's being done for the purpose of demolition in order to renovate. So there's your answer. When Hashem destroyed the whole temple, it was not derech hashchasa. It was for the sake of remodeling. 2,000 years of remodeling, but pardon our dust while we renovate. That's 2,000 years. The exile is a giant sign. The whole exile needs to have a giant sign put on it that says, pardon our dust while we renovate. And very, very, very soon we're going to see how everything that looked like destruction, everything that looked... <sighs> looked like it was bad it was all part of growth it was all part of rebuilding a rebuilding that's far greater than anything we've ever had and anything we could ever we could ever have dreamt of but we need to see it already we need to see it we need to see it now